All right, well, good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, my name is Dave Nelson, pastor here, and I just want to say I'm really, really glad that you've joined us, and I think you're going to be glad as well. Um, if you're new, uh, haven't been with us the last few weeks, we just felt very strongly that we needed to take this month in preparation for the election that's happening in just a few days um, and talk about this American dream that I've grown up in, that I've been searching for, that I've been able to receive for 51 years. But many people are having a lot of questions. There's more shaking going on with this election than ever before. And so we really are titling this whole series, Where Is My American Dream? Realizing that people are fearful that that dream might not be as real and as pursuable as it has been in the past. And so there's no way when we talked about this <clears throat> that we couldn't head on face the whole issue of the racial divide that's been happening in our country. Um, I look back on my calendar, it was August 2nd, when I had lunch with uh, Eddie, who's going to come up here, and uh, we're going to talk together, and um, it was right after everything started to blow up racially in, 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 in July, when the media put it in front of all of our faces. So I just got together and had lunch with Eddie, and I said, listen, man, I, I just, help me understand. If you can just, just I, I just want to hear your perspective, I want to hear your story. And I just want to say, man, it was an education. <laughs> And I realized, I don't get it, and I didn't understand. And I knew from that moment on that someday we had to have a conversation here at K2. And that's really my hope, right? Even in the song that we just listened to, it said, we're here to find God, right? Is that why we're here? We're here to find God, because if we can actually find God, if we can discover him in the midst of everything that's going on in our life, we find out what truth is, we find out what is right in life. So we're here to find God, but I love the line, what I know is I still don't know a lot. And that's what I realize in this situation. What I know is I still don't know a lot. Now obviously in this short time that we have today, we cannot address all of the issues that should be addressed. And in fact, in our conversation this week, we realized, man, there's so much we could say and, and we're gonna do the best we can within the time frame we have. But I also know that this is a wider issue than just the black-white issue. Um, we also know that in the, this election, immigration is a serious issue with lots of different opinions that our Latino brothers and sisters also, as well, experience much injustice. We know the Native American has experienced unbelievable injustice in this country, that those are also issues that we, we see and we need to tackle. I'm hoping that in our time today, that at least some of the basic principles that we can understand will be fleshed out and that you and I all will have a chance to come to a better understanding of a God who always seems to flip everything upside down than how we really understand it, all right? So, enough on that. Would you guys please welcome Eddie Williams and Jordan Lewis to the stage as they join us today. <clears throat> All right. Thank you guys so much. Been a great morning already. So why don't you just real quick, just give an introduction so everybody knows who you are. Okay. Um, so I'm Jordan Lewis. I am from Colorado. Uh, I moved out here a little over two years ago uh, for work. I work at Goldman Sachs and I've been hanging out here, coming to K2 ever since. So. Yeah, my name is uh, Eddie Williams. I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area originally. Uh, grew up there and... Uh, 
went to college at the University of Idaho, uh, played football there, and uh, played five years professionally for the National Football League. Also, I currently serve as the state director for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes here in Utah. Cool. Awesome. Well, guys, I, I know uh, just starting off, what's been so helpful for me is just to hear your guys' stories and your own personal experiences. So I'd love just to start off there. So Eddie, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, sure. So again, I grew up in the Bay Area. I lived there for you know my whole life until college. Um, I grew up in a single parent home. My father was African American. He was in and out of my life uh, up until about age nine, and uh, so grew up in that single parent home. My mother worked really hard. I grew up in a in a poor neighborhood in Vallejo, California. It was the first bankrupt city in California. Um, lots of cities have followed since, but that was the uh, the first one. And grew up with the you know the in the neighborhood magazine street wasn't wasn't a, wasn't a good neighborhood the city didn't have a great relationship with police um, I can recall you know several different stories you know dealing with them but one of them was my house was trashed constantly uh, from our neighbors people breaking in and um, one particular time our, our car was stolen out of our driveway um, they broke in our house took our keys and uh, took some of the stuff out of our house. I woke up in the middle of the night, found that everything was kind of gone, and then the car was flipped in the driveway and some, some just weird behavior. So we called the police, and actually I, I was actually the one that was accused of doing the crime. And I was only 12 or 13 years old at the time. I was a big kid, but uh, certainly not capable of doing that. The car smelled like marijuana, and, and some things were stolen, and they kind of basically said that maybe, maybe you're, the, you're probably the, the reason behind this. And so I was accused of that. Um, going forward. When I got to Moscow, I was telling Dave this week, or, you know, I, when I got to Moscow, Idaho, I, right when the, the, the day we showed up to Moscow, Idaho, me and a, a couple of African-American friends went downtown to Moscow, Idaho. Great community. We love Moscow, but we did go downtown. And uh, the furry first day, we actually saw some dunk tanks and uh, some jump for funds and some cotton candy machines. And we thought, oh, like, cool, party's going on. So we, we went in and actually we were stopped. They said, hey, this, this might not be the, the place for you. And we didn't really understand what they were talking about. And when we looked around, we, we saw it was, a, uh, it was actually a white community celebration. And in Moscow, Idaho, 35,000 people or so. You know, when, when college is out, the town is really small. It's about 10 to 12, 15,000 people. And in the summer when we got there, athletes were there, it was, there was this, essentially this white pride rally going on. And it was kind of the first time growing up in the diverse Bay Area where I experienced legitimate division um, by, just by ethnicity. So it was really weird. Um, in Moscow, I was pulled over. In four years in Moscow, Idaho, I'd been pulled over about 40 times. Um, I got one ticket. Uh, that was actually in Washington on the border, but we got one ticket and over a dozen times I was telling Dave I was pulled over for for mud flaps my mud flaps apparently on my truck weren't long enough <laughs> I had my mud flaps needed to be you know three-quarters of the way down your tire and, and all sorts of things like that just bizarre Bizarre being pulled over for bizarre things getting out of the car and getting searched and all, all sorts of weird things I, I think that's where you're going with that question. So you know, there's definitely, in my experience, been some, some things that have been going on, and um, I could go all day, to be honest with you. So, Yeah. Sure, even just recently, though, with, with your wife. If, if, if yeah, sure. So every time, not every time, but a few times when I get pulled over, my wife is often questioned. It, it, like they're, they're asking if she's okay. So, they, so one, one police officer will come and talk to me. And I've got friends in the police force 
here in Boise and actually just did a talk for the chiefs of police here and I understand the situation. But in this case, I was questioned and then they often go around the other side of the car and the other police officer make sure my wife is safe, that she's in good terms, that she's okay. Um, and yeah, that, those are sort of some of the, some of the examples that happen. Hands show, I mean, I could go on. Yeah. I could go on forever. Awesome. Thanks, Eddie. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in Colorado Springs. That's where I was born and raised. Um, my father was in the military for 21 years, in the Army specifically. That's kind of how we ended up there. Um, and even though Colorado Springs is a very transient community, a lot of military um, officers come in and out, um, it's still predominantly white. So um, me, my parents, I have an older sister, younger brother, like we are a black family in a predominantly white space, um, and that changes a lot of things. So growing up, my parents would always say, hey kids, like you're black if you didn't know. Um, make sure that you kind of are mindful of the way you speak and the way you dress because people will, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, they will assume different things about you. They will think different things about you because of the way you look. So we always, we grew up understanding that we had to account for different things. Um, even in school, I always felt this kind of pressure, my brother and sister as well, to make sure at group projects we could never slack off because all oh, the black kids gonna slack off. Or like make sure, making sure our grades were good or making sure um, that we were just very responsible kids because people, we were concerned or kind of afraid that people would assume otherwise. So other kids may not have to kind of um, take so many things into account, but we always lived having to kind of do double time. So for, for the same work one kid had to do, I always grew up kind of feeling I have to do twice as much because people will maybe assume something based on the color of my skin. So I always had to be mindful of that. That even followed me into college. I studied international business at the University of Denver. Um, I have my master's uh, of business administration and finance, and it was that same pressure. Like I could never just kind of, oh, I'm just gonna not study for that test, or oh, whatever. That was not allowed, because it was kind of this, this um, pressure, this semi-guardedness of, if I don't show up 100%, that, that won't look good for my race, because there aren't a lot of people who look like me in the spaces that I'm in. Um, so kind of carrying that pressure around um, has, has been, uh, I guess, the undercurrent of my life. So. Why don't you share to just some of some things that have happened just recently? Yeah. Um, so in August, uh, August 19th to be specific, at like 6:25 p.m., um, <laughs> I was I was walking down the street um, on 200 South and 200 East with um, three friends of mine who were white. Um, we were walking, having fun, laughing, you know, whatever. Um, a gold car drives by. Someone yells the N-word at me out the window. Um, this was this year, downtown Salt Lake. Um, we do not live in a post-racial society, in case anybody was wondering. Um, and I was raised kind of knowing most people are going to be fine with you being black, like they're not going to really think about it, but there are those people in the world who are going to have a comment, be aware. Um, so, so I live in a state of semi-guardedness, as I was saying. Um, 
so when the incident happened, for me, I was kind of to be expected. I'm in Utah. I am black in Utah. So, you know, whatever. Didn't really impact me because I'm already kind of hedging um, all the time. Like, I know most people won't say anything, but I know that it will come from someone sometime, somewhere. I just don't know when. Um, so that happened to be the when was that day. Um, so I was just going about my business like people are racist. That's what happens in America. It's fine. Um, my friends who I was with, though, were fantastic. They were like, wait, stop. Are you okay? We're not okay. What should we do? What happened? Uh, you know, like this whole explosive thing. So I was like, well, one person was going to punch the guy. I'm like, we, okay, he's driven away. You're fine. Um, but it, so they really took good care of me. So I was like, oh, okay, I'm fine. I'm fine. Family, I was not fine. Um, I couldn't sleep for that whole week. It was the summer, so I was walking to work. I was scared to walk to work. Um, I was kind of thinking, what if something else happens and I'm not with people who will protect me and be on my side? Like, wh like where am I going to be? Where is it going to come from? What's going to happen? Well, I was terrified. And terror isn't something I really struggle with on a day-to-day -day basis. So for me to be terrified was a completely life-altering, um, disorienting experience. Um, so finally I called my parents. And I'm like, it was like 11 o'clock at night. I could not sleep. And I call my parents. They're still in Colorado. I say, Mom, Dad, this thing happened. I've, I feel scared. I'm terrified to walk around the street because I don't know if someone is going to say something. And for me, it wasn't fear of a physical attack. Like, I don't fear that. But um, sometimes I would prefer that, right? Because a bruise will heal up. But I have to carry someone's words around with me. You know, I don't just get to brush that off or patch it up. Like, it just sticks in my mind. Um, so I said, yeah, this thing happened. And my mom's first response is, I'm so sorry. Why are we just hearing about this now? It's been a week. What the heck, you know? Um, and I was like, because I thought I was OK. You know, you all raised me kind of anticipating that. But I'm, I'm not fine. I can't sleep. I'm scared to walk to work. I don't know what to do. Um, so they prayed for me, uh, and that made me feel a lot better. My poor father, though, like his baby is somewhere being hurt, and he's, you know, another state away. Um, I'm sure my mom hid the key somewhere so he wouldn't just drive straight down here looking for everybody. Um, he still he still has that army life in him, you know. Um, yeah, so it's like I I walk around with that where it's like I assume the best, but I know that not everyone will, will assume the same about me. Um, and so, yeah, just kind of living in a state of, I feel like my life is a, is a bubble of a bit of a war zone, right? That it's, um, sometimes I feel kind of crazy. I'm like, I swear I'm not making this up, but it just, it feels like a war for my life. And a lot of people don't have to live under that same pressure. Yeah. So I think that's the first thing that, that I wanted to make sure it got really clear. And, and that is, you know, Jordan, when we were talking this week, it's just that people just need to know that our lives are different. <laughs> and I think sometimes um, being white and growing up in, in, in really in white culture, America, you think, but man, we've made some great advancements, right? I and mean, we, we had civil rights and you, you guys have those. And we got Barack Obama now, right? We have a black president. And so, so we're doing better, you know? And, and I think the realization is, okay, yeah, but you don't, deal with what we deal with. I haven't been pulled over 40 times, you know, especially not for mud flaps, you know. Uh, that's never happened to me. I don't have to walk around in fear that somebody's going to be slurring me. So that's, that's part of the issue that we need to understand, I think, today, is there really is a difference. And um, Andy Stanley, pastor in, in um, uh, Atlanta, did a very similar thing that we're doing here today. And he said this, he said, the further away 
that we are from a problem, the simpler it looks. And I think that's one of the things we need. That's why I thank you guys for sharing your stories. Because the truth is, we are far away, actually, from the problem. And he also said, we believe you, but our answers and our emotional response is often way too simplistic. But the closer you get to a problem, the more complex it is. And, and so I was wondering if you guys could just now, would you help us <clears throat> get closer? How can we actually get closer to the problem and, and understand this disconnect that's there between white culture and black culture? Yeah, I, I, <clears throat> I could certainly lead off with that. Um, you know, my experience living all around the country from a, a really diverse areas in the Bay Area to <laughs> Moscow, Idaho, and then East Coast, uh, Midwest, everywhere, uh, and now Utah, I think that the, the, the big thing that comes up for me in a lot of relationships is that if you, and, and I've heard it said, if you lack proximity, you'll lack empathy. Uh, and Annie Stanley's right. If you're so, if you're distant away, your answer gets really simple because it, it seems like you've, I, I can figure this out. But once you, once you have boots on the ground within these communities, you can really start to begin to understand and sympathize with what's actually happening to the people that in, in the pain they're in. Um, <clears throat> what we don't do typically, like if, if someone is shot and you know the person, our first response is usually, oh my goodness, what happened? Like, can I, what's going on? Or someone's sick, they've got cancer. What happened? Or, or, or even, even sadder, someone's drowned in the pool. What's going on? How do, we, how do we solve this issue? What's not usually said is, hold on a second, I know someone's drowned, but, but before, we, before we address that, let's get all the facts about, about the drowning. I mean, who was watching the kid? Did anybody, were you watching the... Okay, who was on lifeguard duty? Uh, were they choking? Did you feed them something? Cra Let's get every single piece of information before we're able to then address the fact that someone's died. And I think what, what's actually happening here and what I've noticed is that the black community is really looking for empathy from people. They're looking for people to help sympathize with the pain and, 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 and injustice that they've experienced. And it's very difficult to understand and see that when you're, when you're so far away and so far removed from what's actually happening. And so I, the best way for, for us to really understand what they're going through is to begin to do life with them. And I, I think Jesus actually calls us to that. And not just do life with them like, hey, I, I've got a black friend uh, in, Mex in New Mexico, or I, I've got a, a Hispanic friend that lives in California, and I met and I knew in high school. I'm saying do life with the people in your community like Jesus calls us to, and do it in their spaces. Because it's really easy to invite an African American into your life and to be okay with the way they're behaving. Um, but go into their life and into their world. Go to, go to black barbershops, go to black salons, go to, go to black churches and, and visit the people in those spaces. And, and then get, gain understanding and give yourself perspective on their life. Um, and, and I'll just ask, like, when's the last time that's, that's happened to you in your life? The other thing to remember is that America, like Dave said, is predominantly white culture. For example, if I was, like right now, I, I've got some you know, nice shoes on and I'm dressed normal. But if I had uh, a backwards hat on, baggy jeans, and um, maybe tattoos down my arm, and I had a gold chain on, you might view me slightly differently. Not, maybe not all of you, but some of you would, maybe subliminally. Because it would be, a, why is he dressed that way? That's foreign for, for the way things are typically are. And I would say it's foreign because it's not, it's not typical for the culture we're in. And uh, the, the thing to understand is, like, for me, even though I'm mixed race, everywhere I go, 
is, is it's, it's a culture that I'm foreign to, for the most part in America, especially in Utah. Uh, and I know the same is true for you. So understand that we are uncomfortable all of the time, and then the gospel does call us to be uncomfortable for the sake of reconciliation, and to put yourself in those situations to then gain perspective to allow, give yourself the authority to, to then speak into these issues. There is no indifference in Jesus. It does not exist. Jesus cares about everything. He probably cares about some stuff you wish he didn't care about, but he does. Um, and as the family of God, like I consider you all my family because I belong to God, you belong to God, so you're, you're my blood as far as I'm concerned. Um, as the family of God, we're required to respond to each other. That's what the gospel requires us to do. That's what Jesus requires us to do. First John says, if someone claims to be intimate with God, he must live the same kind of life Jesus lived. Jesus always responded. He never did nothing. Pharisees came to him, he answered. Samaritans came to him, he answered. Women came to him, he answered. Children came to him, he answered. Sick people came to him, he answered. Healed people came to him, he answered. Tax collectors came to him, he answered. Jesus had no, no boundaries with that. He didn't associate with people who were just like him. He didn't associate with people who looked like him, spoke the same language. He associated with everyone, and that's what the gospel does. We're required to associate with everyone. I'm required to associate with everyone. And I'll touch on something Eddie was saying about being in other people's spaces. You can be physically, you can physically be in someone's space and not be in their space. Meaning, you're physically there but your heart's removed. We're requiring you to put your heart in that space too. Like that's, that's the kind of response we're talking about is it is a great effort, a valiant effort to show up to a black barbershop. But it's another thing to show up open. And that's what we're saying. It's like there is no change if we don't show up open. Eddie and I are up here being open because we love y'all and we care about you. And it's acceptable to us, more than acceptable, that you don't know. There's no way you could know what it's like to be black. Like that, we don't, we don't expect that. We're not like, well, why don't you know anything? You know, there's, that's just, that's not a thing. Um, but, but for us, as, as, children of God, as we know that you all are, um, we're saying please be open to us because God is open to us um, and that's where change happens and where change is facilitated. And so, <clears throat> so I think that's what I, I would love for you guys to help us understand. Like, you live with this every single day and since we are living in a, as you said, this is the air you breathe, Dave. This is just, you know, that's what you are. Like, so somehow, helping us to move closer, Eddie, like, I think your story with your daughter is really, really helpful. If you could share that. Yeah. So, so my daughter is, uh, my wife, I'm married to a white woman. She's, uh, my daughter's real fair skin, but she's got just this beautiful, just giant curly hair. She's gorgeous. Like it's, it's, I love it so much. And she puts glitter in it and the whole deal. But um, <laughs> she likes to be princesses and everything. But um, she's, she's got you know, my features. She definitely looks uh, like a mixed race child. And, uh, but, but the rest of my, you know, my wife's side of the family, they're all obviously white and, uh, they've got blonde hair, blue eyes, very different. My kids are very distinct and it's awesome. And, uh, but as she goes and plays with kids at church and it, most of the kids don't look like her. And to the point where some kids, especially older ones tend to notice that and begin to, you know, whether intentional or not, begin to make comments about her being different. 
uh, saying, like, oh, you're a monkey or you're a gorilla or something like that, and even saying that you know, you're black, even though she, she's not dark-skinned, um, not even brown, she's black. And, and one time I, I heard a conversation over with a, a, an older child, and she said, I'm not black to, to the kids. And, and she doesn't know what's going on. You know, she's just, and, and maybe the other one doesn't either. And I hear this, and I've got to pull her to the side at three, four years old and say, baby, baby, you are a lovely child of God that's made in the image of, of him. And you've got a mixed race African-American father and a, and, a white, and a white mother. And that doesn't matter, baby. You're, you're, you're a child of God. And just to get her to understand that. And as I address the parents... And, you know, and, and rightfully so, some of them say, you know, I just, I just don't know when's the right time to have this conversation with my son or my daughter. I just don't, I don't know. And, and my response is always, you, don't, you, you have the luxury of, of not having to have this conversation with your child. But I have to address this right now. I absolutely have to address this right now. And so my, my message for you out of that is, Please understand that we have to talk about this. It's not, an, it's not an issue where we can say, man, you know, I don't see color in America. Everybody's the same and we're equal. And, you know, like I, like I told Dave, if we're in white culture and you're white, you know, I always say, you know, if you want to know about the water, don't ask the fish. It's very difficult to understand, very difficult to see when you're swimming in it. But if you're a foreign entity to that, you're, you're better able to grasp it. So I, I would challenge us to, to be open and understand those issues and 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 like jordan said the gospel absolutely calls for blood-soaked body of believers i believe this begins with the church we're called to be distinct to look so different we're not supposed to look the aroma the smell the 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 look the salt and light it's different some people are supposed to say to us something's different about these people that they would address this issue in such a a crazy way that we're supposed to be uh, Dave, the difference between the church, I, I, people need to understand that we're not just called to be saved. That's not just it. Jesus calls us to, be, to bring in the kingdom of God. We're supposed to be the, 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 the heavenly people bringing in the heavenly things, uh, the kingdom of God breaking in, the already and not yet coming in through the people of God, in the places of God, for the things of God. That's what we're supposed to be. It, 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 it's so different. When you say to somebody, the gospel is more than you just being forgiven, that it is much more than that. And it challenges people and it makes people uncomfortable. And you know what? We should be because the gospel is an offense and it's very uncomfortable. And so the gospel is the kingdom of God, the people of God. Genesis chapter 11, the tower of Babel, people were split up and cast off. And Acts chapter 2, after Christ, the day of Pentecost, is the antidote for Genesis chapter 11. That we now come together, all tribes, tongues, and nations, for the glory and peace of God, reconciled as his people. Awesome. Thanks, David. Jerry, why don't you uh, share with us, too, I love your little gun illustration, but then just uh, your perspective on how we can actually be moving into to join in this whole issue. Yeah. Um, I will say a lot of us, myself included with other issues, can walk around like there's not a problem. Um, but I'm here to let you know there is a problem. So now you have been 
that that Band-Aid has been ripped off, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> there, there is an issue. Um, and the analogy Dave is referring to, because I was praying for you all, because you are important to me. K2 is my church. You all are my family. Like, I consider you blood. Um, so I was praying for you all, um, and I was like, Lord, what do you want your babies to know? Like, this is not my agenda. You're the one who is all about the unity and, and our identity as one in Christ. Like, what do you want, what do you want your people to know? Um, and the analogy he gave me was, so if I'm walking down the alley, all of a sudden I'm held up at gunpoint, you walk by, I yell, oh my gosh, I'm in danger, I'm held up at gunpoint, your response cannot be, well, I don't have a gun. That does not help me. I'm still in danger. Like, if you see me in danger, please do something. Like, that's, that's, that's what I'm asking. That's what I'm saying. That's what Eddie's saying. Um, and for, for me, I trust your relationship with God. If you just decided to have a relationship with him today, or if you've been walking with him for 30 years, I trust that. I trust that you hear from him. I don't know what kind of response is going to be appropriate for you in your life. Um, but a response is required. Like you can't see us bleeding or people who look like us bleeding and do nothing. Like God cares about us. As a family of God, we care about each other. I respond to you, you respond to me. That's, that's how this works. Um, and so for us to get closer, it's realizing like you, you can't just walk by me while I'm, while I'm bleeding, you know? It's like the story of the Good Samaritan where the Pharisees went by the guy, right? It's like we are not Pharisaical. We are walking with Christ and that means that we live differently, we act differently, we respond differently. Now because I trust your relationship with the Father, like I don't know what that looks like. Some of you are ready to protest for anything. The Smith doesn't sell the yoga I like anymore. I'm gonna write a letter, right? That's what you do, okay? <laughs> I don't know. Um, or some of you are just so sweet, and you're like, the chocolate is the answer for everything. You're having a bad day. I will give you the best chocolate that exists, right? I, I, I don't know. Like I release you as the family and the children of God into giving like the response that God requires of you, which will look different for all of us. I don't know if we're all supposed to hit the street. I don't know if we're all supposed to write letters to lawmakers, but I know some of us are required to do that. So I'm asking you to do what you know is required of you, but indifference is not the answer. We cannot follow God. God is leading us into a response, and if we're gonna follow him, that means we respond. Now, and I would just say, lastly, and you, you've mentioned the word family. Um, and so, in talking with you guys this week, watching these other examples of what's, what's happened here, it seems like if we get the one specific thing that can be happening, and you kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, Eddie, is but be friends. Like, move into relationship. And I, I just don't know, just before we kind of end up here, if there's anything else you guys would want to say more concretely about that or anything else that's on your heart. Yeah, I think Jordan's right. You can you can come in and, and I you know I, I get that it's uncomfortable and I understand that um, you can come in and you could get on board to to go march in the streets if you want. You can get on board to, to pray to be a part of what God has in whatever capacity. But what you can't do is you can't do nothing because now you're informed. Uh, Jesus, if he had done nothing, we would all be still in our sin. He took action for this issue in one way 
or another. Division. This is at, at the very foundation, the gospel issue in Genesis 3. Division, separation from us and God. And we all feel echoes of the fall of man in Genesis 3 in our hearts, whether we are, are um, uh, complicit in those, whether, we're, whether they're, they're subliminal in our hearts, one way or another, we all feel those echoes. So I would ask us and challenge us all to address that fact that we all are sinners by nature. We are, we, we have it in us and maybe we don't see it sometimes, but it exists. And so we don't have all the answers. We're not made, uh, per, we're, we, we were made perfect, but we're now are broken. We are broken people. Uh, and so I would just challenge us to, to, to pursue God more, go to the cross and see what he has for us. Um, I would say in my life, uh, the, the, the most impactful thing is seeing the pain on people's faces and seeing my little girl um, go through what she had to go through. So I, I want the church to be a place where my daughter can grow up and when she's 17 or 18 years old, not, not feel that issue, that she, she doesn't have to feel the division that, that Jordan feels walking down the street. Um, I would also say too, I'm a mixed race individual real quickly. And Barack Obama, he's addressed, he's seen as the first black president, first black president. Barack Obama, Barack Obama is mixed race. He is white and, and black, but we perceive him as African American. And I believe that stems all the way back to the slave days where when you have, if you had one eighth of black blood, you were a slave. You were a slave. Barack Obama was raised by, he had a white mother and he was raised by his white grandparents. This until we can begin to understand that we have roots that are 400 years in the making and that 50 years of civil rights doesn't just erase everything. We can't just forget all of that. So what we're asking for is sympathy from a people that we know has received sympathy from the great maker. We just want the same sympathy that you've been given from God to be given to, to the African-American community. You don't have to agree with the Black Lives Matter movement, but the sentiment of that people matter that people being killed matters regardless of the situation, that, that's a situation that should address us. Amen. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I will say too, I'm not up here pointing a finger. I'm up here saying, if you don't feel uncomfortable, I'm gonna put my arm around you and we're gonna go somewhere together. So I, I hope you hear that. Um, so as such, me being a part of the church as well, I'm not removed from taking action either. I can't say, well, I'm black, so I'm the victim. Because in praying to the, with the Lord about it, talking to the Lord about it, like, he's not treating me as a victim. He's saying, babe, this is terrible. This is awful. Like, here's what we're going to do, right? Um, so the story that he keeps bringing to mind um, for me personally is the story of the woman caught in adultery. And if you all aren't familiar, there was a woman literally caught in the act of adultery. Um, they bring her to Jesus and they say, Jesus, this woman was caught in adultery. The law says to stone her. What do you say? Jesus, being Jesus, doesn't say anything. He just starts writing in the sand. And so as the Lord was talking to me about that story, he was like, babe, the church responds, but the church writes in the sand. So we're not here to say, oh, like everyone's racist and you all need to fix it. Uh, one, that's a lie. Two, that's not a constructive answer, but we're not saying, yes, we're all colorblind, we don't see anything, there is no problem. That is not the answer either. But there is a myriad of options within writing in the sand, and from that story alone, obviously Jesus is really creative, so he has no issue letting us know what that looks like or what that means. Um, and so I guess I will say for each and every one of us thinking about 
what what is our writing in the sand? Like, what is the third way? What is the different solution um, besides bringing judgment? Because that's God's job alone, um, or just kind of brushing brushing aside. Because we can't, again, we cannot be follow, followers of Christ and just brush things off and not respond. Eddie said it beautifully. Jesus Himself responded to us in our depravity, so we have to respond to each other as well. Awesome. You can say one more thing. Yep. Spark something in me. Um, this isn't a political issue. This isn't a sociological issue or a psychological issue. This is a theological issue. This is, has everything to do with the way we see God and what he did on the cross. I think some of us have such a small view of what Jesus did up there on Calvary. We don't grasp what he did. The agent of change isn't isn't social justice, it might not even be lawmaking. What it is is the people of God in the church being blood-soaked that fully comprehend what Christ did in order for us to change. The answer to this problem that's been being fought for 400 years is not, is not gonna be solved outside of this building because the only answer is Jesus Christ's blood and in the, se the second coming that he's coming back again to judge the living and the dead. This is the answer for what we're doing. We've got to be the ones to help fix it. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Well, thank you, you guys, for your vulnerability and, and your love for us to be able to share this. And so, Eddie, man, I, I'd love for you if you would pray that that right there would actually take place for this church. Would you pray for us? Absolutely. We come before you as a broken people, a people that are in need of a savior. We're not just suffering in need of a solution, but we're sinners in need of savior. And I pray for all of us with our hearts and minds, Lord God, that they may be open for your work and your Holy Spirit. May we draw closer to you on your cross, recognizing what you've done, truly done for us, Lord. That you haven't just come to us as individuals and, and forgiven us for our sins, but you have. But you've come to us as a people that have been fractured away from your family. And you've poured your blood on us, Lord God, and made us again one people, one family, a holy nation, a royal priesthood chosen, as Peter says. May we act that out and, and in us grow a fervor and an angst to see your glory reign on earth as it is in heaven by the power of your son, Lord God. And I pray each of us as individuals that we may act, that we may begin to make change in our own lives, Lord God, not for social issues, not for political reasons, Lord God, but because we're children of Christ and understand what you've done for us individually and corporately. In your son's amazing name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you guys please thank Jordan and Eddie for joining us today. So I just want to set us up here for our time of worship together. Um, it's interesting because if you understand, again, what was happening in the culture when the church actually started, after Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, the church started. It was a time of unbelievable divide. Jews looked down on everyone. Gentiles who believed that the Jews thought that they were better than everyone. The, the absolute hatred between Jew and Gentile, the, the inability to even connect with each other on any level was huge during this time. 
The slave and the freedman. There were slaves during this period of time. There were freedmen, people who had bought or behaved their way out of slavery. And there was great division within those ranks. Men and women. Women had zero rights. I mean, they were, they were not given any honor or credibility during that, this time. And so in the midst of all of this, 15 years after the resurrection, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, poured his spirit. 15 years after that, Peter has a vision from God. And it tells him, he tells him that you need to understand that I make all things clean, that everything's together on this. So what happens is there's a man named Cornelius, and he's a Gentile, and he's, a, he's also a centurion soldier. He also feels led by God to ask Peter to come to him. So Peter has this vision, and in, this is all in Acts chapter 10. Listen to this. This is fascinating. Verse 27 it says, while talking with them, Peter went inside. He found a large gathering of people. So he walks in, and, and Cornelius had gathered all these Gentiles together in this room. And here's what Peter says. The first thing he says to them, he says, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with, a, excuse me, associate with or visit a Gentile. How's that for a greeting? <laughs> By law, I can't even be in this house with you. And then he goes on, but God showed me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. That's how divisive this was. I see you as impure and unclean. That's not very politically correct language right there. So here's what's interesting, though. What does Peter say? But God has shown me that I can call no one that. And our hope for you and I today is that God would show us that there isn't anyone on this planet that we should be seeing differently in any way. Five years later, the whole church gathers together and they make an amazing statement going into Old Testament thought that says, no, from this point on, everyone is included in the church. It was a huge statement of inclusion that had never really been done before. So in Galatians 3, it says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. You guys, and this is what Eddie's saying, right? Now, here's what's interesting. So this didn't happen in Roman society. This didn't happen in Jewish society. This happened in the church. It was the one place where Jew and Gentile came together, where slave and free came together, where women and men came together. And the only one who was able to have the power to create that type of unity was Jesus Christ. And so the beautiful thing is, now he says, and, and I'm just going to read some scripture here to help you, like when Eddie was saying, we've got to understand what Christ did. Look at this, Ephesians chapter 1. With all wisdom and understanding, God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ. I mean, that should just make our antennas pop up. Oh my gosh! God revealed the mystery of his will purposed in Christ. What is it? To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, here's the purpose of God in Christ. To bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. Unity in all things under Christ. That means me 
finally made one with God. That means you finally made one with God. But then he goes on in chapter 2 and he says, For he himself, Jesus himself, is our peace, who's made the two groups one and who has destroyed the barrier, dividing the wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose, guys listen to this, his purpose on the cross was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. So what that means is, when I get reconciled back to God, God finally fills me with his spirit, and I become absolutely one with him. But when you put your faith in Christ, in God, then you become absolutely reconciled to God, and you become one with his spirit. And that is why he's saying, so when, I, when you receive forgiveness for all of your sin, and when you receive my love poured into your heart through the Holy Spirit, and so does everybody else in this room who's received Christ, he goes, you become one. And the will of God on this planet through Jesus Christ is that the church would be the representation of people who love people who are nothing like them. Because that can only be done through the power of God and his spirit inside of us. So here's how we're going to celebrate this. We're going to do communion. The band's going to come up and we're going to celebrate communion. And we're going to worship together. There's a station right there, right here, over here, and two in the back. Now here's what's going to happen, right? If you're a follower of Christ, you're going to come up and you're going to take this bread. And Jesus said, I want you to remember that this was my body broken for you. And I want to tell you, every time I take communion, I literally take that and I, as I eat it and it goes down into my being, I'm reminded the very life of Christ is in me. He gave up his body, his life, so that he could live in me. And Jesus loves everyone. You're going to take that cup and you're going to drink it and it's going to remind you that you are forgiven of all of your sin. That there is no more judgment on you. And you guys, when there's no more judgment on you, how can you judge somebody else? You just don't do it anymore. His life in you, his forgiveness in you is the power that allows us to love everybody around us. So look at this, and then we're going we're gonna to go on. 1 Corinthians 10. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And all of us who are followers of Christ are going to participate in that absolute forgiveness. And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Come on, man, if you're a Christian, when you take that inside, you are, you are saying, the life of Christ is in me, and I'm in him, and I participate now in the very life of Jesus. And then here we go. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share in one loaf. Yes, communion, yes, is about your union with him. But it's also about our union with each other. And that's why we fight for what we talked about today. All right? So let's worship this God who can give us his heart 
so that we can be an example to the world of the love of Christ. Let's do it together.